Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey, all. Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher after dark. Oh, it's an after dark <laughs> episode. Well, Santosh, yeah. I got news for you, or more mm. accurately, a question. Okay. Uh, based around today's episode, that question, of course, would be, are you ready to rumble? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, but still, you know, with our podcast voices. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I would I would love I freak, I don't know the name of that very very famous announcer. Uh, who who does the Are You Ready to Rumble? The the Let's Get Ready. Yeah, the the Let's Get Ready to Rumble guy. I think I'd love for him just once in his life to just very casually just walk over to the microphone and say, hey, hey, everybody. Everyone ready to rumble? (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Uh, His his name is Michael Buffer. Michael Buffer. Oh, okay. And he is, and he is now 78 years old. Oh, damn. And still uh, announcing stuff, I think, right? Is he still? I think he's, yeah. I think he's yeah. still the, he's the original Let's Get Ready to Rumble. To Rumble. Guy. Sure, yeah. Um, Did you watch a lot of wrestling as a kid? I didn't. No, I wasn't a huge fan. Uh, I, I grew up in the land of wrestling, of course. I grew up in Iowa. And these folks, they, they took their wrestling, along with Nebraskans, very, very seriously. And so I learned all about it. I knew about it. But um, I was kind of a, a, a snobby little kid. I was, <laughs> I'm not very proud of it. But I was a snobby little kid of like, oh, 
barbarians like one of those kind of things i have grown up loving all forms of wrestling you know from the classic 1980s brightly colored ones and macho man yeah Hulk hogan to the undertaker the modern day ones and even with aew and these so and i was at an aew uh, wrestling match in chicago a couple weeks back and it got me thinking we haven't covered any of the medical problems or issues that are relatively unique to wrestling across all its subgenres, from professional to luchador to college and, uh, I don't know, pediatric wrestling? <laughs> is, oh, there, yeah. <laughs> is there baby wrestling? Well, no, no. Well, kids will start their wrestling career uh, somewhere between middle school and high school. Yeah, so it's, like I said, you know, it's it's taken quite seriously so what you'll have is, you know, young people that will get introduced to the sport. So they might be, you know, gentlemen, of course, you know, boys for the most part going, okay, well, mom and dad say I have to play a sport. So there you go for, so you'd say football, track and field, tennis, but then wrestling would be way up there, especially if that, you know, that corn-fed Iowa boy started getting big at a young age. So you, let me ask, it. before we start getting into the, the medicine and issues with it. Sure. With what little you know about wrestling, yeah. I have two important questions. You can answer them now or you can wait till the end of the episode. Okay, gotcha. And, and home listeners, I want you to think about this too because I'd really just love to hear it. <laughs> what is your wrestling name, your entrance music and oh. your signature move oh man oh i just, I know. just the title you don't have to tell me what the move actually is but i, yeah. I want to know the name of your signature move and your entrance music yeah 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 we we've definitely uh we've we've talked about this before uh because you know we, we've had these discussions about you know oh, what what it would be um I, I believe we've discussed our, our rap names before, and I, I still, you know, the title or the name of Penicillin is still, you know, deep in my soul. But I don't know that, uh, you know, I've really like settled, settled on my wrestling name or, or entrance music or favorite move. So I can try to save it for the end of the episode and try to... So let that simmer and we will yeah. come back and at the end of the episode, folks... We'll give you our wrestling names, our theme music, and our signature moves. And I want to see you all reach out on social media of your choice and tell me yours. Yeah. Uh, but let's get into it. So we'll start off, you know, at the basic level. There's two internationally recognized forms of competitive wrestling, freestyle and Greco-Roman. We're not going to get into sumo, really. A lot of this stuff just... Some of it would apply, some wouldn't. So we're just going to focus on Western wrestling. Yeah, this is what you'll see at the Olympics, for instance. In both styles, competitors will wrestle in two to three minute periods. You get points for takedowns, escapes, reversals, and pins. Freestyle is the most popular, and athletes can use their entire body. Greco-Roman, you can only utilize the upper body. So in terms of freestyle you know if you pin that's the one where you see them you know they can use their legs or something to lock someone into place or something like that whereas greco-roman in order to get someone to go into a hold or a pin you can only use arms and chest during a match 
wrestlers are allowed one and a half minutes of cumulative injury time across Ooh. the match. Oh, okay. So they're allowed to hurt each other for 90 seconds. Okay. Two to three minute period, but you know, so you have two to three periods each lasting two to three minutes, but you only get 90 seconds of time being injured across that match. Oh, okay. High school athletes are permitted five minutes of cumulative bleeding time. Oh, whereas at the collegiate level, the length of bleeding timeouts are left to the discretion of the referee. So this is if you have a, a cut that's really bad or probably hampering your ability. So if it's over your ear or over your eye, right? Or if it will not stop with, you know, on-site medical treatment, you can have up to cumulative five minutes of bleeding time before the match is just called for injury. But, it, wow. you know, once you're in college, the referee gets to decide, no, nah, he hasn't bled enough. He's still got some more. <laughs> in him. Those of you who are very deep into the wrestling world can probably correct me extensively, but WWE which was yeah. sort of the the former wrestling that we all grew up with, really has scaled back on this. They do not want bloody matches. Once in a while, or for certain wrestlers, they'll allow it. Uh, AEW, on the other hand, All Elite Wrestling, is practically a free-for-all, and it at the end of some matches, it was a relative slaughterhouse, and I don't care what you say about fake wrestling, there are not blood bags hidden in cuts above your head or in yeah. your face. People are injured. I, I still contend that it is a sport, whether or not it is scripted. Oh, no, 100%. And this has to do with any other kind of performative art, right? So competitive sports, as we know of, you know, that they go by the rules. They try to do what they can. In, in this kind of professional wrestling that you're talking about, it tells a story. So there's going to be a winner and a loser that's determined to the best of their ability ahead of time. I, I know that can be changed, but there are other forms of, you know, play battle, you know, on stage fighting and then, you know, the, the stunt men and that kind of thing in movies. And all those folks, along with the wrestlers, are athletes. You better the heck believe it. So I don't care if the match is fixed. If you walk into a ring knowing you are going to get your face beaten in, you earn all the points of any other athlete. Yep. In fact, it's even worse because you're like, I have to take a beating and still yeah. admit defeat. There's no yeah. comeback. So, but let's get away from cumulative bleeding time and discretion of the referee and talk about the oldest named wrestling associated condition and and you always get very excited about yeah. this santosh <laughs> well so. i don't i don't like it for the sake of the the actual disease because it's kind of, you know it's not a great disease to have but yeah it's it's up my alley uh people don't usually think of infections when they think you know wrestling they think of injuries what is our wrestling named infection the named infection is going to sound very familiar to anybody who grew up in the 1980s it is a herpes infection so it's an outbreak of you know the the blisters and stuff that that herpes causes on your skin but because it's named after the wrestlers it is called herpes gladiatorum of course gladiators the earliest yes. forms of professional entertainment athletes right exactly which so, is I, where I does... always love the double entendre because gladiator comes from the gladius, right? Like the sword that they have. Mm -hmm. so it's a, an HSV kind of like stings, like you're getting stuck with a sword. 
Uh, anyway, I'm probably taking Oh, sword herpes, almost as yeah. good. Where does herpes gladiatorum appear? So you're going to talk about contact surfaces, really, between two people. Uh, these two wrestlers are getting very, very close to one another, or as I've been told before, Josh, three, four, or five wrestlers sometimes, right, in the professional ranks, when there's, I, I don't know what they call it, like the... Well, the, when you have elimination mounds, you could have, like... 25 to 30 people in a single ring okay okay so lots of people rubbing up against each other right anytime that happens you're going to have exchange of fluids and skin cells and all these kind of thing if it so happens that a person is shedding herpes simplex virus somewhere uh, on skin touching skin and it can be asymptomatic although it's much more contagious if you have an you know, open blister and that kind of a thing. But the other person, especially if they have not had herpes before of any kind, can acquire that. It doesn't take a lot of abrasion to the skin. And then, unfortunately, you know, they down the road can get another outbreak where that HSV was inoculated. And depending on their individual circumstances, it can be very serious and bad and ugly looking, or in some cases, they'll just be asymptomatic for a long period of time. The herpes simplex virus, regardless of what catchy name we give it, will regularly rear its vesicular ulcerous face on wrestlers. A research group checking serum samples from wrestlers across all ages to determine previous exposure found that 30% of college wrestlers had reported a previous infection of herpes. And they gave numbers for professional and high school as well. But essentially, the level of intimacy required in grappling makes it inevitable that something is going to be transmitted. Sweat, saliva, blood. Uh, and that gets us into yeah. bloodborne infections. And then, of course, HSV. Yes. Uh, so, fun fact, how do you tell if a wrestler is right or left-handed? Look for where you can find lesions if they have lesions. Check which side of their face, head, neck, and arms has the greatest number of lesions. And that's because athletes will tend to prominently use the most powerful side of their body, and that will be the side that has the greatest amount of skin-to-skin contact, and therefore at the greatest risk for developing an infection. Okay, gotcha. So this does, you know, it's with the added caveat that they do have to have herpes gladiatorum, you know, herpetic infection, and it, it should be active at the time. And, and then you can use this little hint. Well, and then you can't really <laughs> wrestle if it's active at the time. So it's a little bit of a catch oh, 22. Sure. <laughs> okay. Like if, if somebody shows up and we'll, and we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, but if someone shows up and they have active herpetic lesions, they are not going into the ring. So you okay. have to you have to notice these strong side things before you get into a fight with them. Sure, uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Just like now, part of their medical checkup. Now herpes gladiatorum, fun as it is to say, really only covers herpetic infections, but we have a whole group and tinea gladiatorum groups several different fungal infections that these gladiators of the ring are susceptible yeah. to, including, and I'll let you give a brief description of them, Santosh, but sure. tinea capitis. So no that's, ca- 
No cap. No cap. So just what, yeah, exactly what it alludes to. So uh, tinea, uh, we're, we're talking about fungal infections right now. So t- tinea on the head. Corporis. Uh, anywhere along the body, but usually in areas where there are skin folds, like under your armpits or uh, uh, your, uh, you know, folds of fat, if there are any. Cruris. That's going to be in the groin. <laughs> and, um, usually that's just from sweat and heat accumulating rather than like skin to skin stuff passing on. And pedis. Those are the feet. Those that's not pedis with a D. P-dis. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if anybody is out there thinking of pediatrics, right? So pediatrics comes from the root of actually taking care of feet and bones because that's a lot of the pathology that early pediatricians dealt with. Um, so pedi pedis doesn't mean kids or you know the, the other thing, but it's actually your feet. So that's athlete's foot. Which is weird because you would think podiatrists would have seized on that, yeah. but uh, uh, pediatrics had already stolen their specialty. So, yeah, such such is the world. Um, so, tinea is a pretty common occurrence among most athletes. I mean, it's jock itch is another common name yes, for at that's least the one of them. Tinea cruris, uh huh, yeah, is jock itch, yeah. And it usually presents with itching, redness of the area. It may get scaled. Um, you can have bacterial infections like impetigo or uh-huh. cellulitis, and those have to be treated with you know, topical antibiotics, so actual antibiotic creams that you smear on the skin or incision and drainage. And I cannot tell you how many wrestlers I have treated in my career that have little boils and abscesses, usually in the groin, or if you want to use the unscientific term, the taint. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the perineum is what, what you're saying? Yes. Oh, okay, um, gotcha. Okay. And <laughs> they very often tend to be drug-resistant abscesses because it is not the first time an abscess has formed in that area for the wrestler. Right, meaning that they've taken multiple courses of antibiotics before, um, or it... it is possible that if they're in a community where they're wrestling and they encounter a lot of people with resistant organisms just colonizing their skin, that type of bacterial infection, well, I shouldn't even say infection, that bacteria, and we're thinking of Staph aureus, um, will pass on just because, you know, there's intimate contact. It's touching and touching. You can imagine, Josh, throughout all of this, that it's kind of tough to differentiate sometimes between these. A viral infection like HSV can be blistering, but you know there could also be something pustular or red. It's, oh, is it herpetic? Is it bacterial? And then if you get that scaly, almost cheesy kind of a look, it should be fungal. But they don't always present classically. So that can lead to mistreatment, get, you know, giving the wrong agent for the wrong kind of disease, or uh, sometimes unnecessary antibiotics and things like that if you accidentally you know, try to give an antibiotic for a herpetic infection. So you have to get really good at telling these apart and then using your diagnostic skills and your methods that you have available to you, like culture and molecular methods like PCR to detect HSV. So I'm going to go through a very quick and dirty, haha, 
run through yeah. <laughs> of of return to play guidelines for infections because I think those of you who participate in college wrestling or who watch professional wrestling do not tend to see people with noticeable skin infections and that is good you shouldn't yes but <laughs> how recently did they have the infection so for any kind of herpetic lesion which is characterized by a vesicle or a blister filled with clear fluid on a reddish background. But it'll develop for about seven to 10 days. And then as you said, Santos, they may burst, they may become dry and crusted. So an initial outbreak requires a minimum of 10 to 14 days of treatment. And if it's a recurrent outbreak, meaning it's happened before, they have to complete a minimum of five days on antiviral medication. And you have to be free of fever, swollen lymph nodes, and existing lesions have to be scabbed over. It has to be a dry crust. So nothing wet, no oozing, no discharge, no new blisters in the last 72 hours. Now, you can imagine this can be just a little bit difficult because, yes, we've told the, the wrestler in this case not to be on the mat, don't be interacting with other people so we don't spread this around. But, Josh, they may decide to do something like exercising and they could open up new blisters, you know, have it spread like this because they're still not practicing good hygiene. So this is why we set those minimum conditions. It could take longer. One of the very specific things about herpes that we may not hear with some of these other infections is that active lesions cannot just be covered to allow participation. There are some infections yes. that you can just cover up. Herpes is not one of them. So 72 hours with no new blisters as well as treatment before you can get back in the ring. And if anybody out there is wondering why, because you might be, you know, you might have some expertise here and you say, oh, if you cover up usually with HSV, if you cover up, then that layer of gauze with some tape is usually plenty in order to stop transmission of the virus, right? But we're not dealing with a commonplace type of scenario here okay these folks are clashing and rubbing up against each other those dressings are going to fall off like you know seconds after they enter the ring especially with sweat right josh so you can't trust a dressing to stay on tania the whole gladiatorum ones just it yeah. it's latin for ringworm it's a fungal yeah. infection <laughs> yeah. that usually forms some form of ring on on the body it could be round and reddened and scaly on the scalp it can be gray and scaly on the feet uh it's thick and scaly are you yeah. sensing a pattern yeah <laughs> and 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 the skin can kind of pile up a little bit in reaction like inflammatory reaction to the fungus and get we we sometimes use the word beefy josh <laughs> so in order to return to play with a tinea infection same thing you have to have at least 72 hours of treatment or two weeks if it's on the scalp because uh, there's a lot of head-to-head -head contact in wrestling yeah, or head-to-mat yeah. or head-to-chair. Your scalp <laughs> is more important. Head-to-baseball bat, sure. Once the lesion is no longer considered to be contagious, then you can just cover it up with an occlusive dressing and they're cleared to return. So you can still have an active lesion that is outside the contagious period and go into a ring to wrestle with that. Yeah, and tinea can be awfully tough to deal with, right? Because anytime you have 
heat, moisture, and absence of light, so darkness, that fungus loves to grow. Yes, you've told them to stay away from wrestling for a bit, but again, hygiene is really, really important. All of those places that we talked about, corporis can happen, you know, in your hair that traps moisture and that kind of thing. But curris, pedis, uh, corporis, they're all going to happen in skin folds where you can trap a lot of heat and moisture and it's nice and dark. You have to tell them to like, hey, wash up really well, but then dry your skin really well, air it out and use, you know, the antifungals and soaps and everything that we give you or it's going to just be a bear to, to heal. Um, another one that is relatively common, but we don't hear about it a lot, or at least I don't, is molluscum contagiosum. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so it looks like, you know, light pink, pearly little pimples with a dent or depression in the middle. So think pimples with dimples. Yeah, uh, we actually call that little dimple an umbilication. <laughs> So in order to return to play, you just have to scrape the whole pimple out by a physician, and then you can cover it up and get back to play. So you can have an active one, and they're just like, all right, let's just stab that, scoop it, and uh, off you go. Slap on the ass, get back in there, sport. <laughs> and this one's caused by a virus. It's it's actually a pox virus, believe it or not. And it, it's not terribly harmful, Josh, actually. If, if you have an intact immune system... Actually, most of these, I'd say, HSV, tinea, it's just that they are absolutely tenacious and annoying. And molluscum specifically, if you even scratch it a little bit and then you scratch another part of your body, you will self-inoculate. So you'll propagate this thing around your body. So you do have to act on it pretty quickly. We have a few other modalities besides uh, scooping. You can use... Uh, some uh, some cold therapy, or if you're technologically inclined, you can use a giant laser. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's another group that I call the wrestling staff, which is <laughs> impetigo, which mm -hmm. also folliculitis, furuncles, carbuncles, um, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. MRSA. It's your carby uncle and it's your furry uncle that shows up just when you don't want them to. <laughs> so folliculitis is the hair follicles. Again, the scalp. Uh, furuncles are tender and red and nodular. Carbuncles yep. are when a bunch of furuncles join up. Join up. It's, it's a carb of uncles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, furuncles can happen anywhere you have skin follicles, right? So along your arms, legs, back, chest, all these kind of things. And again, it can be very annoying. Not, not necessarily deadly. Or, or, or scary. Now, the reason I keep... And again, for all of these, you need at yeah. least 72 hours of antibiotic therapy. And here's where I'd like you to comment, Santosh, because most of these infections, we tend to treat with a longer than three-day antibiotic course. Yeah. Now, I don't tend to see, you know, things like folliculitis in a hospital setting. That doesn't usually uh, require right. that level of care. Right. Uh, not that said... My experience with most antibiotics is outside of urinary tract infections, most things are at least a five-day course. So the fact that you only have to get through most of the antibiotics before you can get back into wrestling, I find to be interesting. Although, again, no new skin lesions for at least 48 hours and anything active or wet or open means no covering it up cannot return to competition. 
Yeah. Skin infections are forgiving because the actual cells actually shed off, right? And if there's a pimple that you can actually lance and drain, then that's the number one principle of taking care of infections is source control, right? So if you can do that, if you can take care of the source of the infection, that does most of the heavy lifting. And then just a short course of effective antibiotics. So you do have to pick the right agent, right? Some people actually go way too broad and pick the wrong thing. So uh, the, the thing you said at the very beginning, Josh, when you were talking about incising and draining some of these things, that actually is the treatment for most of these. If you get a, a, a pimple or a pus-filled uh, you know, blob, that actually does so much more than the antibiotics do. And in fairly mild to moderate cases, if you're able to drain all that pus out of there, send it for a culture, never forget. And you can sometimes even just give a dose or a couple of doses of antibiotics or just topical antibiotics, and it'll heal up as long as the wrestler leaves it alone and takes good care of their body to heal up properly. <laughs> WWE famously was kind of anti-union. All of its wrestlers were independent contractors, Oof. but they were locked into a contract, which meant they couldn't work anywhere else. And as independent contractors... WWE didn't offer health insurance. Horrible. They were not employees. Yeah. And yeah. that meant that a lot of wrestlers would continue wrestling even in conditions they knew were dangerous because they did not have an alternative source of income. That's what allowed, in wrestling history, some of these other leagues to spring up. One of the more popular ones now being All Elite Wrestling, or AEW, that does in fact consider anybody working for them as a employee and eligible for health insurance. So you've seen a lot of wrestlers who we maybe grew up with and knew the names of shift over, change names, change costumes because they are in a safer overall medical environment. Oh, that's that's a good thing. That's really good to hear, not just for the individual to help them take care of themselves and and get them money, you know, when they can't earn it on the ring, but it's also really really good for public health, right? Because you're stopping the propagation of these infections from person to person. So, uh, the role of medical personnel in addition to recognizing and managing injuries like head and neck trauma, which we'll get to, yeah. Yeah, is yeah. essentially to do an on-mat evaluation of the wrestler to determine his or her ability to safely continue within a very limited amount of time. You know, you can't be doing a full triage on somebody or a regular ER hospital workup. You got to look at the mat and be like, all right, this has to be addressed now. This can wait till the end of the match. This requires the match ending those kinds of things. Uh, they also kind of work as sort of the people you have in your corner as they're there to control bleeding, minimize blood exposure to other athletes, and provide treatment for an injury after a tournament or match, along with education on prevention, rehabilitation, and return to play guidelines. Cool. Okay, so they have to be kind of specialists. And I'm sure you could start off being, I'm guessing, family medicine or pediatrics or internal medicine or something like that. But it, it sounds like in order to recognize, you know, these types of injuries along with infections, and then be able to provide, you know, first aid care right then and there, there's probably some amount of 
experience and, and specialization that you should really have. I feel like it ends up falling into some mix of infectious disease, ER, and ortho. Yeah, yeah. Like you need some fusion of those three specialties. Yeah, I mean, emergency medicine is actually a pretty good for this because they have to have recognition, very good broad recognition of common entities like this. So that 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 would make a ton of sense for someone to do this. Uh, training in sports medicine would probably be good too. I, I would think that a sports medicine doc would be able to recognize some of these skin skin diseases and stuff because they're fairly common. They do happen, by the way, to all of the rest of us, just with much much differing frequencies because we're not being hot and sweaty and rubbing up on each other all the time. At least I'm not. I don't know if you are, Josh. I mean, on a good Tuesday. <laughs> briefly going back to college so i mean again i'm i'm really focused on professional wrestling which can be anything from individual one-on-one matches tag team matches ring outs massive eliminations there's so many different ways but the skin-to-skin exposure is largely the same the risk of injury uh goes up the more people you have in a ring and that's true at the college level too college level matches tend to proceed in three rounds of two with one with one trainer per two mats so that's sort of the medical coverage One trainer per two mats allows for quick response times and a higher likelihood that you witnessed how the person got injured. Um, Oh, okay. That's, that's wonderful. I wasn't really considering that. I thought that during a meet, there would be maybe, maybe one professional with a few helpers or something like that. That's, that sounds a lot more generous. So you have one trainer per two mats. Matches are generally stopped for injury timeouts at the referee's discretion. You you have to know where the trainer is as well as the referee. If the ratio of providers to matches is not as favorable, like you have four matches to only one trainer, then you can try and locate as centrally as possible for the greatest visibility and quickest access to the athletes. We should ask Ward how fast he can triage assessing injuries occurring in real time on the fly without the benefit of imaging. They would have to rely on clinical skills. So actually using your hands, eyes, uh, asking the athlete to do certain maneuvers. So for instance, with their shoulder, you know, can you raise your hand? Can you drop it back? Can you reach up? you know, behind you and put your, put your, uh, the flat of your hand over your back. Um, can you rotate your wrist, elbow, flex it and extend it? All these kind of things you, you'd have to do that. But while you're doing this, your back is turned on at least one other match. Oh, oh, I see. And, and they have to go on, I'm guessing. Otherwise you'd be there all day if each match was right. And then you have to say, all right, let's go back and get this person can go back to play. This person can't. I need to keep an eye on, oh, maybe I noticed something as the injury was occurring. So it really is instantaneous triage. Wow. Okay, okay. So you got you to gotta work on what we call, and, and I think Ward, Dr. Ward would be wonderful for this because there is such a thing as called a, a three-second physical. It was boom, boom, boom. So what's your... (laughs) It's what you do after 20 years as an attending. Well, it is. Yeah, that's... You gain this kind of mastery, especially... uh, There's something that we talk about in pediatrics, which is... It sounds really, really simple. But you say the first thing that you want to know is, is that patient sick or are they not sick? And it sounds really silly, you know, non-technical, that kind of a thing. 
But that's our instant assessment. And we gain this kind of an instinct or, or mastery just after seeing 10,000, 20,000 patients. So let's talk about a partial list of the medical supplies needed to cover a wrestling match. And you will see these at every level, high school, college, pro wrestling, lucha, which is more marked by just masks and high flying. So you have a couple yeah. unique injuries for lucha that are related to costuming that may stay on or <laughs> the increased level of acrobatics uh, beyond mentioning that not really a lot to go into. So when we say professional, just assume we're including lucha things you need ample suture supplies, especially for the larger <laughs> tournaments. When you talk to me about that, Josh, and because I, I, you know, you talked about the, the cuts and everything that you see in the all elite wrestling. I was a bit surprised. I have to admit, I didn't know that they would have that many like lacerations and cuts. I thought this was all like blunt force injury, but I guess not. But you can hit the turnbuckle, which is the little corner area of the ring. You can smash your head on the ring itself. You could just take punches to the face um, or a chair to the head. So there's a lot of things that can open up cuts. Okay, uh, which will kind of split open the skin rather than a cut the way that like a knife would be or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they're sheer injuries. Got it. Got usually. It. Okay. Uh, dental rolls, pre-prepared. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> Coban tape, 3M, St. Paul, you know, any of those. Uh, athletic tape. Okay. You know what makes tape athletic? Uh, I think it's the way that it, it, it like it, it, it adheres to itself and kind of stretchiness, right? Made of non-stretch cotton and has a zinc-based glue, uh, and it's meant to allow you to flex and move. Whereas if you think about, you ever put a Band-Aid wrapped around your knuckle when you get the inevitable yeah. paper cut there? <laughs> and it lasts about two seconds. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, the second you start bending your hands to be like, how injured? Does it still hurt? Yep. Um <laughs> Athletic tape bends with you. It's meant to be flexible. Okay, got it. Uh, so fun, fun side fact. So Coban or athletic tape supplies to drain and splint auricular hematomas. I mean, it's cauliflower ear. Uh, not not like in the ear canal, but actually in the tissue of the outside of the ear, like the pinna or the tragus. Yes. Oh, because if you get a bruise or something and blood flows into that area, it has nowhere to drain. Right. So instead, it just kind of blows up and then your ear looks like, listen, if you've seen a cauliflower ear, you know it. (laughs) So this this would actually in order to actually cut it and drain the blood out, this would be to prevent the cauliflower from happening, because that's what happened when it like puffs up like that. And then it scars and fibrosis and stays that way. Consider consent forms or documentation forms. Oh, Uh, sure. Yeah. No, I'm sure in in high school wrestling, for sure, it's uh, in college, it is up and down consent and documentation and all this kind of thing. Splints, gloves, tegaderm for covering skin lesions, a headlamp and an eye kit uh, because you want to assess for concussions. And there's a couple. So those were the infectious diseases. Yeah, we'll get into the more musculoskeletal ones in just a second. Oh, sure. First. Let's talk about the major difference between amateur and college wrestlers. Wait, wait, Josh, before we do that, should we put in a, uh, I don't know what you call an interval in wrestling uh, for our wonderful, uh, you know, ads and what have you that 
help help us pay our bills. We'll be right back. <laughs> to rumble. <laughs> to rumble. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> it gets me every time. I don't know why. So what's the difference between professional and amateur college wrestling? College and high school wrestlers pretty much stay on the mat. Yeah. Like they're not doing any high flying off the ring flips. They're not breaking through tables. They're not getting hit with external objects. Uh, so that's... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although they, these are big, powerful individuals and they'll use their fists and they're not allowed to punch or strike but i think in greco-roman josh you're able you're allowed to like strike the side of the head and the ears with like the the heel of your hand right yes uh, oh jeez. okay so so the biggest thing at the amateur level is sprained ankles and knees back and shoulder issues and lacerations but at the end of the day gravity is gravity sure um so that that you're right would be kind of like a sports medicine or a ER broad thing. So now let's talk about some of the injuries that start coming up in other cases. So we'll work okay. our way from, and I know this is very relative, but least to most serious meniscal injuries. Oh, very yeah. very common due to increased torsion forces, uh, lateral more than medial. So what's a <laughs> meniscal injury? Where is your meniscus? <laughs> so the meniscus. You can imagine your knee, the way it's flexing, right? You don't have bone touching bone there. Otherwise, you'd grind your knees to dust. There is a beautiful cushion of cartilage that sits uh, right between the end of your femur, which is your thigh bone, and your tibia, which is your shin bone. And there is, you know, further out to the side, you can call it, uh, which is what we call lateral. And then medial, which is closer to the center line of your body, a little... Um, almost like a, you know, you can think of it like a kidney shape, like a, a U shape of, of cartilage that cushions those, those bony surfaces. So that's due to, you know, quick turn injuries or increased torsion. Yeah. And you'll usually see tenderness at the joint and a little bit of like a slow building fluid uh, yeah, behind so it. Yeah, yeah. So you, you actually go to, you know, this is the one of those things, right? You have to quickly assess the knee if a person, oh, standing tries you falls down, something like that. And then, you know, you you push on it and it 
bounces back. (laughs) Yeah, so this will feel like your knee is locking, catching, or giving out. So if there's full range of motion, no mechanical symptoms, you can allow the athlete to return to play if they desire. Mm -hmm. Uh, You should watch for very isolated lateral collateral ligament sprains. So rather than medial, a pop on the outside of the knee and then significant tenderness among that area, but not much swelling. In order to test this, you're asked to kind of cross your injured leg over your non-injured knee, making like a figure four. Yep. Mm -hmm. So then you feel along the outside of the knee, searching for that lateral collateral ligament, the LCL, should feel like a tight cord. Um, In fact, you may even be able to palpate it yourself uh, against on yourself as you're sitting there. Go ahead, cross your leg and kind of feel (laughs) what feels like a tight cord. If you can't feel a cord and it's kind of loose, then you would be worried about a complete tear of that ligament. And that has to be treated and operated on within about a week. Yeah, otherwise, you're going to start getting uh, contractures, like bunching up of the muscles uh, that, you know, actually insert into that point, And it's going to get more and more frayed to the point where it's it's going to become irreparable unless you actually cut stuff away in order to uh, to to link it back up so it's not an emergency but it's urgent and you have to stop using it immediately Uh, then pre-patellar bursitis or pes anserine bursitis very very common just due to friction against the mat uh that's (laughs) the the actual front part of your knee becoming swollen and inflamed um it's not an infection it's just an inflammation yes and just rub 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 and usually wrestlers can continue with that. You just get rest, ice, compression. That's why you'll see a lot of wrestlers wearing knee pads as part of their costumes or having some form of knee protection. Yeah, I can't stress enough, Josh, the amount of force that's being applied to these athletes' legs, right? So you've got all the weight of the athlete, and then you're carrying or moving or trying to move someone of equal you know height and weight usually and they're they're putting even more force you know jamming down on your legs your hips and and everything else like that a lot of these ligaments and stuff you can you can work out your muscles right you can make them stronger and stronger but these muscle these ligaments and cartilage they're not necessarily meant to take this kind of a force. And it's really important in high school and college to think about these because these bodies are still developing. So sometimes you get people who can exert a lot more force on there than the ligaments and the cartilage and everything that can actually take. Moving up the body, we get to the ribs, and those are very common injuries. You get compression, torsion, direct impact. I mean, if somebody's jumping off a top rope and landing on you, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, the differential for an acute rib injury, you have just a muscle strain or a subluxation of the rib where it slides underneath yeah, uh, yeah. Or, an out, mm-hmm. or an outright fracture. So you should, you should listen with a stethoscope. You're listening for kind of crackling, rice crispy sort of sounds <laughs> or... Gross. Well, that's crep- that's crepitus, you know. Yeah, or, I know, but I, I, I can like feel it. <laughs> or or pulmonary complications like a pneumothorax. Uh, 
a part of your lung balloon bursts open. So you actually won't hear any breath sounds. Um, if you have a rib injury, returning to play is pretty controversial. In the most liberal definition, you want to make sure they can take full breaths. But if they've suffered any kind of acute rib fracture or injury, it's not advised for them to get back in the ring. Yeah, what portends more serious injury across the ribs is if they've already suffered an injury, right? So you've got layers of tissue protecting the actual bone, thankfully. So you've got lots of muscles and and people actually work on building this, you know, the wall of your chest in order to make it nice and strong so that you can withstand some of these things. But if you've bruised already, or if you've maybe had a, you know, a minor type of an injury, you're now predisposed to getting a worse injury if you try to keep pushing through it, so to speak. Um, Now, while we have lacerations that will bleed, a nosebleed has to uh, either spontaneously resolve or if it's going for longer than three minutes, remember, cumulative bleeding time, Yep. (laughs) you can get a nose rocket, uh, also known as a pledget. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and you can, you may even dip it in a medication like phenylephrine or oxymetolazone to, to further constrict the vessels in the nose. Yeah. And you don't want to use those too, too often because if you cut off the circulation to your nose, it's not so scary that like, oh, your nose is going to fall off or something weird like that, but you can actually damage those very delicate, wonderful tissues on the inside, like your turbinates and things leading to chronic rhinitis and sinus issues and things like that. So, you know, you 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 basically have a little infarction and Mm -hmm. then the main, the main purpose of your nose, which is to block outside things from getting in such as infections. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't. Exactly. Um, And, and, you know, you can damage your sense of smell, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And you don't want to lose that. So yeah, taking care of it quickly and getting the bleeding stopped without having to use those medications is important. If you have to resort to those too often, then the bleeding is too much and you should stop and probably go get checked out by a ear, nose and throat specialist. Uh, And then for any of the bleeding things, you basically the threshold is you have to have the ability to suture a laceration within six hours from the time of injury. And that can help them avoid a long wait in the emergency room and allow wrestlers to continue on in their tournaments or matches. If they will not be finished wrestling within six hours, you it's preferable to wait to repair the wound as long as you've had hemostasis. So as long as it stopped bleeding, yeah. You don't have to repair it right away as long as they'll be done wrestling within six hours. Who wrestles for six hours? Or, or this is intermittent, like they do a match and then they... Right, so at the college level, you may have several bouts and you get a laceration in one. And if you're going to be done with your day in six hours, then you're good. If you're at an AEW event gotcha, and you have the first match and then maybe you're going to make a surprise appearance or you're in this other one because wrestling shows will go for three to four hours. Oh, okay. I so unless you are leaving that, yeah. immediately after yeah. and you're only showing up once for the night, um, if it's going to be six hours or less, you do take care of it after the match as long as you've stopped the bleeding. Longer than six hours, mm, maybe better to go. 
Gotcha. And so we're dealing with everything from, you know, really shallow, just what you were saying, like shears, where you get a, a little bit of a skin tear, you use that wonderful super glue type stuff and, and it closes up all the way to, you know, if you get a split famously above your eyebrow, because that skin is quite delicate and a blow to that area could really split open the, the skin and, and you need to throw in some sutures right away. Are you saying, Josh, that in some of those cases they can put sutures in and then go back in the ring? Like I'm, I'm saying as long as they've stopped the bleeding okay. or with like butterfly stitches or things like that, they can go back okay. in and then do a proper repair with sutures later. After. Oh, wow. As long as, as, long okay. as they will be done with all their required wrestling within six hours and they're not actively bleeding, okay. that's fine. You don't have to send them off. <laughs> to the emergency room that scares me a little bit because i just imagine someone who keeps splitting the same thing open over and over but okay got it so that's it that you want to get any laceration sutured within six hours from the time of injury in the wrestling world your mileage may vary yeah okay got it <laughs> all right so now let's let's finish it out with some band wrestling moves now some of these have come back in okay. other forms, some of them are banned in one in one field, like WWE, but may be allowed by AEW, which only started in 2019, I think. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, and we've seen if we've seen WWE, you know, relieve a few superstars from their contracts following complaints by their colleagues that they're not safe workers in the ring, and others are praised for being extremely safe. And even with that, accidents will happen. So, for example. During a dark match on Raw in 2015, Tyson okay. Kidd, uh, a young wrestler who is not competing anymore, was asked to work with a longtime staple of the wrestling world, Samoa Joe. Okay, okay. Um, most of the match went fine, but the end of the match, Joe lifted Kidd for the muscle buster, which was his finishing move early in his WWE oh, career. Oh, God. Okay. okay. And WWE banned the move after Joe used it on Tyson Kidd because uh, okay. he went ahead with the move. However, he wasn't prepared to land well because he hadn't worked with Joe before. Okay. And he ended up breaking his neck with a spinal cord concussion, meaning the Ooh. ligament holding C2, the, the disc right up almost at the top of your skull on your neck, yeah. uh, the disc hit the spinal cord and caused temporary paralysis. Oh, because it, it actually bruised, you know, your, your spinal cord being a giant bundle of nerves, it actually bruised that, the, you know, the cord. Yeah. So they oh, banned gosh. it basically because now, thankfully Tyson kid uh, had temporary instead of permanent paralysis, but did sure. not return to wrestling afterward. And Samoa Joe, who was, you know, very concerned about this has never used the move in WWE since. Sure, sure. And it's been absolutely. a banned move, although you have seen some versions of a muscle buster uh, show up <laughs> later. So now let's start talking about some of the others. Um, okay. The Pedigree by Triple H. And oh, it's sad that okay. you're not going to recognize any of these, Santosh. Like, they're, they're, I have other colleagues and friends who would be like, oh, the Pedigree. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Triple H, I know, is a, like, Hall of Fame, you know, super duper uh, you know, name and wrestling, you know, a little bit up there, like Honky Tonk Man or, or um, uh, uh, Hulk Hogan. Like he was famous, 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 right? So I could just, yeah, I could describe some of these, but realistically, go to YouTube, go to TikTok, just watch it. It's just fun. Yeah, um, <laughs> it is. I mean, 
as what long does, as it's in Harry Three. Yes, yes. So exactly. Triple H, his his special move was the pedigree, and when he first started doing the move, he wasn't unlocking the arms of the competitor soon enough, which okay. led to some scary moments for those taking the maneuver because they could basically slam their face on the mat with no protection. Uh, well, so, so in this case, like the, the, his opponent's arms are locked away where they can't break their fall. Yeah. Got so it. the original version of the move made it very difficult without a risk for a permanent head and neck injury. Um, okay. Cause you're taking a lot of force right to the face after really? it was banned, he Triple H modified the pedigree to make it safer by just unlocking the arms earlier in the move, so the opponent could put their hands out to safely take the bump. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Cool. Um, another wrestler, RVD, is known for the five star frog splash. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> and he'll kind of climb up the ropes, jump off, and change direction in midair before landing on his opponent. How? Oh, he's twists around. Yeah. yeah. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So during one of during one of the first ever elimination chamber matches uh, in two thousand two, he tried to do this move on Triple H. Oh, okay, gotcha. However, the height of the structure, like kind of the cage match, prevented right. him from getting enough momentum to successfully hit the move and go far enough. So he wasn't able to climb high enough and jump kind of over so instead his knee connected with triple h's throat and crushed his larynx oh my god i mean that's deadly what what happened well triple h survived oh okay was not thrilled and the five-star frog splash became a band's move and in this case it was because he didn't have enough height to build up the momentum to get far enough over the person triple h is a big guy Sure, sure. as in tall as well. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they just said, all right, instead of like trying to practice it in order to get it right so that you can get over, just no, no more. Just no. And sometimes that's all that it takes, you know, one bad injury because this is a move that he didn't know he didn't have enough height to do. He thought he was doing it safely and there simply was not the proper environment to pull it off. Sure. Um, one that was banned and uh, has kind of made a comeback, oh, no. perhaps dubiously, okay. is known as the Buckle Bomb. And okay. that is a variation of the Power Bomb that's been pretty popular in a lot of pro wrestling rings. Okay. Uh, now, in a Power Bomb, the opponent's kind of driven into the mat, but in a Buckle Bomb, they're driven into the turnbuckle, those four corners. Oh, God. Okay. I mean, they're padded, but it must, because that's a very narrow space imparting a lot of force rather than a a big mat. And the key to doing it safely is it's entirely up to the guy giving it that you need to make sure that your opponent hits the buckle above your shoulder blades, but not with your neck. Oh, I, okay. So this is another you know, not snapping the neck, not crushing the larynx type of thing. But I imagine that's kind of hard to to maneuver just right. Now, that's not one particular wrestler's move. Lots of wrestlers use it, and it is, I believe, the most recent or latest move to be banned by the WWE. AEW, uh, I think, still allows it, but oh, okay. I'm, I'm not sure. And like I said, AEW, although they do provide healthcare to their wrestlers, seems to play a little bit more fast and loose with uh, some of these these kinds of high risk kind higher, of higher 
higher yeah. risk okay. moves. Okay. Um, so a trade-off. <laughs> but it would be wonderful if they did both. Like they provided, uh, you know. I am not here. I'm not here to hate on anybody. Maybe Vince sure. McMahon from WWE. But sure. I'm not here overall <laughs> to hate on wrestling. Yeah. Just these are different ways of doing it. And this is why these moves were banned. Okay. Um, another one, the diving headbutt from the top rope. Okay. Popular for years and years, invented by Harley Race. And sure. people like Daniel Bryan, Chris Benoit have all used it. Um, it was used by everybody in the 1980s. Uh, but it was banned by WWE after being linked to CTE. Sure. Which, of course, is the same kind of concussion injury or chronic traumatic encephalopathy that m has been made so famously popular by football movies. Yes, and, and football in and of itself. The, the National Football League and I believe the NCAA uh, National Collegiate Athletic Association have both – I think the NFL paid out a lot, a lot of money and then started making strides to preventing CTE. And NCAA likewise has been making moves to help with that. But I don't know if that's being taken as seriously in wrestling. I do know, for instance, Josh, if you're a boxer, right, and you take a, a certain knockout or, or level of concussion, that you can be taken out of the ring for something like 30 days, like a long period of time. And you have to prove that you're completely back with it and everything and, and pass a medical exam before you can box again. Uh, I don't know if the same is true for wrestling. Yeah. And then finally the pile driver, and this is, this is not a complete list of band moves. These are just some of the ones that I thought people might recognize sure, if sure. they are wrestling aficionados. Yeah. Uh, the, that, the pile driver is the one where one person is like, they're upside down compared to the person delivering the move. Right. And you're actually driving the person's like head first into the mat that way. Yeah, and it's seen as one of the most lethal moves in the WWE. Ooh. And currently, only a few top stars are allowed to use it. So it's not completely banned, but you are restricted depending on your level of talent, skill, you know, years of service on who is allowed to do it under whatever name. Um, gotcha. And for example, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin yeah. was on the receiving end of a botched pile driver from Owen Hart. Uh, okay. And you may have noticed that Stone Cold isn't wrestling anymore. Yeah, and this yeah. Was, I, I mean, it's been a long time, but yeah. yeah so this, this happened in 1997. Wow. Um, and Hart went for the move on Austin, but Austin's head was too low. So as soon as his head hit the mat, he suffered a neck injury from which, again, was able to recover, but was forced into early retirement due to essentially a loose spinal cord, like a loose disc in his neck in that cervical area. Meaning that if he re-injured that same area, there was a very, very high risk of paralysis or death. Yeah. Okay. So... Those are some of the 
the things that, I don't know, had, had you thought about the medical issues in wrestling, Santosh? I'm going to guess you hadn't. Uh, but... yeah, I, I thought, you know, I didn't think of it as broadly as you taught me about today. I, I knew about the infectious diseases kind of things just from athletics in general. And of course, herpes gladiatorum sticks with you pretty well just because of the name of it. But I wasn't aware of the breadth of pathology and then more importantly, what was being done about it and how uh, wrestlers are actually addressed and cared for. Um, so we've reached the end of the episode. And before we do our sign off, yeah. Santosh, do you yes. have a wrestling name, entry music, and special finishing move ready for me? All right. Uh, I, I'm going to go. I, I, I want to keep my rap name. I think I like it. So I, I, I'd love to go with Penicillin, if it's okay to keep that as a, a wrestling name. Is that okay? It's your wrestling name, my friend. It's so good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and um, uh, I want to go with a slightly goofy entrance music. I'm going to go with, uh, you know, the witch doctor like I told the witch doctor, I was in love with you. I don't know if there's a hardcore, like a like a metal version of that, but I think, uh, especially like if you know, if you got ACDC or someone to sing it, as I ooh ee ooh ah ah, like, <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be so good. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And then I don't know what the uh, the uh, uh, the uh, you know, what the move would look like, like if it was my, you know, uh, finishing move or everything, but it would sound really like, uh, you know, like uh, bloody and kind of a thing. We call it the incision and drainage. Oh, oh pet, he's going for the I and D, you know. Kind of, <laughs> you know? I so, like, I like that we yeah. both went with medical ones. Oh, so yeah, of like, like you, I was torn between just remaining Dr. J uh-huh oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah or going for my luchador alternate identity el malpractico oh el, el malpractico is fantastic yes yes uh, i would enter to depending on the match either bon jovi's bad medicine Oh, okay. See, you know, you know more of these uh, mute, you know, the, these pop music than I do. I, I'm, I'm, I was stuck a little bit. Hey yo, I, it's like bad medicine. Bad nice. medicine is what I need. And my finishing move would be <laughs> yeah. called the desuscitation. Oh, that's a great play on words. Okay, <laughs> all right. Dr. Yeah, yeah. J desuscitating his opponent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Okay, so that would it would probably involve some sort of like chest compression, but like mean, like yeah, you know, kind of a thing. I mean, I'm I'm picturing at least some high flying off the off the ropes. Uh yeah. not a diving headbutt as we've noted, it's been banned. Sure, um, sure. Maybe Maybe a suplex, uh, maybe some kind of elbow drop. I, I haven't quite worked out. Yeah, because if it was an elbow drop like across the chest, right, that would be the whole mm -hmm. thing. But you'd have to time it really well in the in the theater of 
professional wrestling, you know, a lot of the times you, you don't want to actually land the blow um, heavily. You, you actually want it to look scary, but not actually injure your partner because, you know, that's your partner. So yeah, you, you'd have to time it just so that, you know, even when that elbow landed, it was like kind of on top and then the, the heel, right. The, the person who's your bad guy is going like that, like crunching up. And, oh, yeah. see, I already viewed myself as the heel. Oh, you, you're a bad guy. Oh, I'm a bad gosh. guy. Okay. Gotcha. You're uh, like, uh, oh, Dr. J's knocked him out with a desiccation. Insurance isn't going to like that. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. And then you could say something like, oh, that, you know, and his, that guy's uh, claim has been denied by Dr. J. Oh, there's so many <laughs> medical puns. Like, yeah. I'd have moves called the vaccination. Like, I've thought about this in a lot more detail than we're going into in this episode. <laughs> but we'll save that for maybe our behind-the-scenes folks who sign up for our mailing list or uh, support us on patrons. Because, hey, that's it for this week. As always... We love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading. If you'd like to be kept aware of upcoming events, sign up for our mailing list at travelmedicinepodcast.com. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. The show is produced by me with a ton of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. Hi. And until next time, as always, keep a song in your heart, soap on your hands, a shot in your arm, a wrestling theme in your head. Spin a globe, pick a place when you've done all those things, and uh, happy travels. Top rope, suplex! Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.